Our scripture reading this morning will come from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 41 through 44. It'll be Mark, chapter 6, verses 41 through 44. If you'd like to use one of the red Bibles in front of you, it'll be on page 842. Page 842. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set them before them and the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000. It's great to see you this morning. We're really glad if you're visiting with us that you've come to be a part of our worship this morning. You're welcome. We're really, really glad that you're here. We began our service this morning with two baptisms. Jordan Moore and David Dunn make a pretty good team. I think you'd agree. Uh, Zach Blaker, Zach and Carly, his wife and their family have been with us for just a few months. And it wasn't long after Zach and Carly came that uh, Zach and Jordan began to study and David and uh, it's been several weeks that they've been visiting together. And then Anna Medina, she and Cody Duke are a pair, if you weren't aware. And uh, Anna began studying with Jordan and David just, um, I guess, three or four months ago. And both of those studies have resulted in these two, these two individuals putting on Christ in baptism. We're thankful for that. You know, there was a, there was a count that was done, and this is, this is outdated now, but about a month ago, the elders asked for, they asked Jeremy Ross, who is our deacon that uh, coordinates a lot of our evangelistic efforts, um, ask him for kind of a count of how many ongoing studies that we knew about as a congregation. And when the list came back, after we had gone through and counted all the, all the individuals that were, that were being studied with, something like 20 or so studies are ongoing and sometimes if you know a a bible study will carry on for a little while and then because of logistics and circumstances it'll drop off for a month or two or three and then it'll pick back up again sometimes people need time to think about they need to weigh and count the cost do i really want to become a christian but it's wonderful to know that there are that many and that that's all that we know about there are probably lots of others that are going on that that are not uh, that we're not aware of but it's a good thing for God's people to be interested in souls. And it's a wonderful thing for us to be able to thank God for his son Jesus and the salvation that he provides. If you're visiting with us this morning, I want you to know what you saw this morning is how somebody becomes a Christian. We become a Christian by studying the gospel, by hearing about what Jesus has done for us, by repenting of our sins, by confessing that Jesus Christ is God's son. You heard both Zach and Anna say, I believe that Jesus is God's son, or acknowledge that in their words. And then at the point when you are immersed in water, you obey the gospel, you are becoming a New Testament Christian. That's what the Bible teaches in Romans chapter six, verses three through six, Galatians chapter three, verse 27, a number of other places. And Zach and Anna said, we don't need to hear another gospel sermon before we want to make our decision. We know that we want to obey the gospel. And so that's why we did it at the beginning of services and not the end. A lot of times people wait until the end of a sermon. You don't have to do that. You can obey the gospel when you're ready and you know that you need to be a New Testament Christian. 
This morning we're going to talk about the feeding of the 5,000. Open your Bibles if you haven't done, done so already to Mark chapter 6. The feeding of the 5,000. This is the last in our series of lessons about the miracles of Jesus. This series began back at the beginning of this year. And there's so much that you can learn about Jesus from studying his miracles. And each miracle tells us something a little bit different about Jesus. Looking at Jesus is like looking at a multifaceted diamond. Holding that diamond up to the light and turning it with your hand, you see things as you turn that gem, as you turn that diamond, that you didn't see before. And as you look at him from all these angles, you can see something beautiful in every one of these miracles that we've studied about the Savior. The feeding of the 5,000 is really, really remarkable for a number of reasons. It's remarkable because, in the first place, it is in every one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In fact, it is the only miracle that Jesus did that is in all four. All the other miracles that we've studied are in maybe three, maybe two, some of them are only in one, but this particular miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, it's in all four Gospel accounts. If you're taking notes, it's in Matthew 14, it's in Mark chapter 6, it's in Luke chapter 9 and John 6. Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, John 6. It's in all four gospel accounts. And if you read all four of those, you'll find that there is a wealth of information, far more than we could detail in one lesson this morning. We notice as we look at this miracle that it's also especially sensational. In John's account, in John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, when Jesus fed the multitudes, some of the crowd responded by saying, this must be the prophet who has come into the world. And they're thinking about Deuteronomy chapter 18. God promised that there was going to be a prophet like Moses. And they said, this must be him. We are thoroughly, deeply impressed by what he just did. And others in John chapter 6, verse 15, wanted to take Jesus, listen to this, by force and force him to be the king. They were so convinced that this miracle demonstrated he is the chosen one, the one that God has sent. This miracle was especially sensational in people's minds. This miracle is remarkable because it shows Jesus as the bread of life. He is the one who satisfies and fulfills all that we really and truly need. He's the bread of life. In fact, that's exactly the sermon that he preached in John 6 when this miracle was completed. It is historically true. John chapter 6, verse 2, the idea that this is some kind of myth or some kind of fable that Christians begin to pass around about Jesus after his, after his crucifixion is just not right. You know, there are a couple of theories about this. A little boy has five loaves and two fishes, and how could that feed 5,000 men to say nothing of the women and the children that were present on that occasion? And some people have said, well, you see, what happened was, it wasn't a miracle. What happened was that little boy, he shared his lunch, and everybody else, they, they were kind of ashamed, and so they brought theirs out too. And that's why the crowd began to eat. And others have said, no, no, there was a Roman cave that was nearby and Jesus and some of his disciples discovered this cave where the Roman soldiers had a storehouse of food. They were prepping for something that they needed and they discovered this storehouse and that's what they used to feed the 5,000. Neither one of those is true. Jesus took five loaves and two fish and multiplied those miraculously to feed hungry people. It is the Lord's biggest miracle. Out of all that he ever did, 
5,000 men, Mark 6 verse 44 tells us, to say nothing again of the women and the children present on that occasion. This miracle ultimately is about caring for others. It's about compassion and it's about provision. Who can I look to, who can you look to to provide for our needs? Who can we depend on? Who can we count on? You know, a lot of people count on their jobs and they count on the goodwill of their employers to keep them employed. A lot of people count on the government and they count on the government making sure that those checks keep coming every month. Who can we really depend on? Who can we really look to who will not fail us to provide? This miracle answers that question. Let's notice as we study this miracle this morning, five truths that we learn about Jesus Christ. You know the story, don't you? Jesus and his apostles, they're on the hillside near the Sea of Galilee and the Bible says that there are multitudes and it's getting late in the day and the Bible says that Jesus wants to feed them because they've been following Jesus for a while and they're hungry, the people are hungry and the sun's going down and so Jesus says to his apostles, I want you to give them something to eat. And the apostles, they do the math. They look at the size of the crowd and they figure out there's no way that we've got enough money to go into town and buy bread for all these people, even if the stores had enough to give. There's just no way. And then Jesus finds, Andrew's the one that actually brings the little boy with his lunch, with his five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus takes that small gift and he gives thanks to God and he begins to break the bread and he begins to pass out the fish and the disciples, they go and they're delivering this food to the people and everybody eats until they're full. What do you learn about Jesus from this? What do we learn about who our Savior is? First, we serve a God, we serve a Lord who cares, genuinely cares about people's needs. Look at Mark chapter 6 in your Bible, if you would, and I want you to look at what precedes this miracle. In Mark chapter 6, verse 28, the Bible speaks about the death of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner. He was the one who proclaimed, make way the straight, make, make straight the way of the Lord. John the Baptist was given the task and the mission of preaching that Jesus was about to arrive. And John the Baptist and Jesus enjoyed a close relationship. John was making sure that there were going to be disciples ready and waiting when the Messiah arrived. John preached an unpopular sermon. John lost his head as a result. And Jesus learned about this immediately prior, it says to the feeding of the 5,000. Not only that, but look at verse 31. The Bible says that Jesus recognizes in his own disciples, Mark 6, 31, a need to rest. He says to his disciples, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They didn't have a Wendy's or a Whataburger that they could just go through the drive-through. They didn't have food prepared. They didn't have time to eat. It took a while to prepare a meal in those days. And so Jesus says to his disciples, it's time to rest. But there are other more pressing needs that quickly happen. So Jesus has just learned about the loss of a dear friend and companion. He has just learned, secondly, about his disciples' needs, about how they're tired. 
Not only did Jesus serve and care about people in spite of his circumstances, but he did so in spite of superficial disciples. In John chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus tells those who are following him, some of y'all are following me just because you get a meal out of it, just because you want to see something sensational, just because your bellies are filled. Don't work for the food which perishes, but work for the food which endures unto eternal life. Even though some who were following him and listening to him were superficial in their commitment and their motives, he still cared. And then this, Jesus cared about people's needs. Watch this, pay attention to this. By looking at other people and thinking about what they needed. Not about himself, but about them. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 34. Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude, and the Bible says he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. Jesus looked at the crowd and he saw them and he thought about what they needed. You know, sometimes we're so wrapped up in ourselves, we fail to care about others. We're so wrapped up in what's going on with me and my circumstances and whether the motives of people around us are really genuine that we fail to stop and think about what others really need. Jesus cares. And I have a challenge for you to think about this morning. The challenge is this. What if the things that you really need the most are not the things that you think? What if the things that you think you really need the most are not the things that you really think you need? Jesus knows, Jesus cares, and he provides for people's needs. Secondly, this morning, what do you learn about Jesus from the feeding of the 5,000? Jesus is interested in, always has been, leadership development. I'm not talking about John Maxwell leadership development, if you know who John Maxwell is. Wrote a whole slew of books, by the pound he writes, and writes all about leadership and all about how to maximize your effectiveness as a leader. That's not the kind of leadership that Jesus is really interested in. He's interested in people who care about and serve others to the glory of God. And as you look at what Jesus is doing with the 12 apostles, he's developing them constantly because he wants them to be reliable. He wants them to be a source of stability for the New Testament church. He wants them to be the kind of guides for God's people that God intends. And he's still interested in that even today. When you read the New Testament, you find the New Testament talking about men who would serve as elders. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Leadership. And one of the ways that a man becomes qualified to be an elder is by first leading at home, it says in those passages. By first leading among his family. Jesus is interested in that. And one of the ways in which he develops his apostles, his disciples, is by challenging them. Watch this. In Mark 6, verse 37, as they stand there on the hillside, the sun is going down, Jesus says to the apostles, you give them something to eat. I love our shepherds here at Katy. I have been in almost every elders meeting that they have had, with a few exceptions, over the last six years. And I'll tell you something, they really care about your soul. They really care about where you are spiritually. 
But I've also been in a number of these meetings and I've, I've listened to these men as they struggle with, where do we go from here? What, what's the right decision to make in this case? How, how, do you, how do you move forward and help people to know God better in this circumstance? And it's almost as if we're back on that hillside with Jesus sometimes and Jesus is saying to the shepherds, you give them something to eat, provide for them. One of the things about spiritual leadership, brothers and sisters, whether you're a father and a husband, whether you're an elder in the Lord's church, you will come to the end of yourself sooner or later, probably sooner. You'll come to the point where you realize, I don't know how this problem's gonna be solved. I don't know what needs to happen next. I know what the Bible says and we're committed to doing that, but where provision is gonna come from, I don't have that answer. That's exactly what Jesus does to the apostles. Because, think about this, if the apostles always have the answer to the question, if they always know what needs to happen next, and they always know where things are going to be supplied, what need do they really have for Jesus? They've got the answers. They've got the solutions. You give them something to eat. And just like a lot of times, not always our elders, but sometimes, just like shepherds do sometimes, the apostles immediately set pen to paper and they look at the size of the crowd and they start calculating and they figure out how much this is going to cost because, you know, budgets are important. And they come back to Jesus with an answer. 200 denarii would not be enough money to feed this crowd, Jesus. We don't have the funds. We don't have the bread. We don't have the supplies. But Jesus says, you give them something to eat. What does he want from them? I'll tell you what he wants. Same thing he wants from fathers and husbands today. Same thing he wants from elders today. Jesus wants people to realize how to do spiritual math, how to calculate by faith and not by sight. That's what he wants. Apostles, if you really knew who it was who was standing here on the mountainside with you, you wouldn't give that answer. You would say instead, Jesus, we know that you can do all things and we know and we trust that if somebody is hungry and needs to eat, we trust that you can provide. But that's not what the apostles said. The apostles said, it's going to take 200 days wages. A man would have to work most of a year in order to provide enough bread for everybody just to have a little bit. Jesus develops leaders, listen to it, by challenging them. And for all of us, we ought to realize this. When we think about God and his ability, he is not limited by a time crunch. We set schedules and set processes and we set things in place and in order. And sometimes we run into a deadline. The sun's going down and there's a hungry crowd. Our God is not limited by a time crunch. He can provide. We sometimes, as God's people, we think that there's a limit just because funds are short, just because there's not enough in the bank account. God is not limited by a shortage of funds. Jesus and his apostles apparently did not have 200 denarii in the treasury. Where are we going to get money? Where are we going to get provision? Jesus is not limited by that. He's not limited by the size of a crowd. 5,000 men 
not counting the women and children. There might have been 15, 20,000 people on that hillside that needed to eat. He's not limited by that. A lesson for every one of us, and especially those who would be in places of leadership. We are not finished calculating until and unless we have accounted for God's ability in our calculations. God is able, the Bible says, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. And I'm thankful for shepherds and I'm thankful for parents who acknowledge that reality. He's able and he develops us by stretching us, by challenging us, by bringing us to the end of ourselves. Third, what do you learn about Jesus? He displays wisdom in caring for people. He is wise in the way he cares for people. Think about this. Mark 6, verse 40, the Bible says he organized the people. It says in Mark chapter 6, verse 40, they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. We're glad to have Blake McKinney with us this morning. Blake's former member, future member, we hope. Uh, things like that. Blake and many of you work with Camp Bandina every summer. We have about 400 people out there at camp, and it is chaos if there's not some order, if there's not some division into cabins and ranks and ages and things like that. But it's amazing to watch because what happens when mealtime comes, if you can think of 350 hungry teenagers all in one place, all hot, all tired, and especially as the week goes on, that's a chore to try to feed that many people. How do they do it? How do they do it efficiently? How do they do it without anybody getting a fork stabbed in the back of their hand? They do it by organizing. And that's exactly what you see Jesus doing. He thinks very logically the size of the crowd. You don't want people crowding up onto, onto the, the top of the hill where the food's being distributed. Everybody sit down in your place in hundreds and fifties. That's the way Jesus works. All things done decently and in order. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40. That's the way God does things. And notice this as well, if you think about leadership, he gave the disciples something to do. They find this boy with the five loaves and two fishes, and Jesus, he begins to break and distribute, but the apostles, the disciples, they're the ones that are moving around, passing out the food to others. There's wisdom in the way that Jesus cares for people. You know, as the church, we ought to think about, there's a place for organization, there's a place for order. One of the reasons why we have programs as a congregation is because it is a way to organize the work that's going on. And one of the things we have to be careful about, all of us is, thinking that what we want to do is, is going to somehow interfere with some of the programs that are already ongoing. We have to be careful about those things. There's wisdom in organization. And there's a lot of good work to be done. As God's people, we need to work together and cooperate together so that God can be honored. He can be glorified in caring for others. Next, what does Jesus do? As you read Mark chapter 6, he prays and he gives thanks to God. In Mark chapter 6, verse 41, don't overlook this. The Bible says, when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he stood in front of all those people and he looked up to heaven 
He blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them, and the two fish he divided among them all. What does Jesus do as he begins this miracle? He offers a prayer. It's a wonderful thing to pray before we eat. One of the things Jesus taught his disciples to pray is, give us this day our daily bread. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and following. Give us this day our daily bread. And before he ate and before he distributed this food to the crowds, Jesus prayed. His life was characterized by prayer. Is yours? Do you pass meal times without even thinking about the God who provided what you're about to eat? You know, food is so available, readily available, and so, relatively speaking, inexpensive in our day. We might well become ungrateful and take things for granted. Not Jesus. His present ministry includes prayer. Jesus is a man of prayer. He prayed during his earthly ministry. He prays even now. Hebrews 7 verse 25, the Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us. We're thankful for a Savior who intercedes. He taught his disciples, that includes you and me, that men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. Luke chapter 18 verse 1, when you read the parable or the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, you have to come away with this conclusion, prayer is a priority with our Lord and it ought to be a priority with us. What do you learn about Jesus from the feeding of the 5,000? He exhibits good stewardship. Read with me if you would. The Bible says in verse 42, they all ate and were filled. All these people, maybe 20,000 on that hillside, everybody ate and they had enough. And the Bible says in verse 43, they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. So not only did everybody have all they wanted, but they had 12 big baskets left over. Why make more than what people really needed? Have you ever wondered that question? Why did he make 12 baskets more than what people could eat? Some suggestions. In the first place, it helped people become comfortable eating all they wanted. Have you ever been to a meal like a potluck or something and there's only one roll left? And as you pass through the line, you've got like 15, 20 people behind you in line and they're all kind of cutting their eyes a little bit to the side to see who's going to take that last roll. You get a little bit ashamed about being the one that I really want that roll, but I better leave it in place. Nobody had to do that when Jesus did the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Nobody had to say, well, my family's hungry and so I'm just going to pass. I'm not going to eat anything so that they can have something to eat. No, everybody got enough. And nobody had to worry about who's being left out. Why did Jesus make more than necessary? This was clear evidence that a miracle was being performed. When they had all eaten, they still had evidence that the miracle had been performed. There were still 12 baskets full of food. That's astounding. And they could still praise God and thank him for his gracious provision. Not only that, this shows the abundance of God's house. I want you to listen to me. When that prodigal son went far from his father's house in Luke 15, he went and he was so hungry, he was wanting to eat the pods that the swine ate. And he remembered, he remembered, in my father's house there is what? Bread enough 
and despair. Even my father's servants have more than enough to eat, and here I am starving. In God's house, in God's kingdom, in God's church, there is bread enough and despair. I'm talking about the bread of life. It's the way our God provides. He provides abundantly. Why did Jesus make more than enough? It displays the nature of God. This is what our God is like. When he made manna in the wilderness in Exodus chapter 16, it's amazing that every day for 40 years those Israelites woke up and every day there was a miracle. On the ground in front of them there was manna being provided. And God didn't give them 40 years worth of manna at the beginning of their journey and say, okay, I'll see you in 40 years. It's not the way God provided for them. And even Jesus, even though there were 12 baskets left over, that's not enough to feed a crowd. Who do they need to look to? Who do they need to go to? They need to focus on and put their trust in the one who provided, not the provision itself. What does this teach? It encourages us not to squander our blessings. Jesus teaches us to be neat. He teaches us not to waste. Think about that. They collected the fragments in baskets. And somebody has said, well, I wonder what they did with those baskets. Someone has suggested they gave those 12 baskets to the boy who initially brought the five loaves and two fishes. Can you imagine that little boy going back home to mom and dad and all of a sudden his lunch has been multiplied into 12 baskets full of food? What would that have said about the Savior? We need to think more about good stewardship, about appreciating the blessings of God, and about the God that provides those blessings. Jesus fed the 5,000. He took care of needs because he cares for people. I want you to know this morning, he cares for you. And the thing that you need most in this world may not be something you've thought a lot about. The thing that you need most in this world is a relationship with God. You need the bread of life. If we can help you obey the gospel this morning, why don't you come while together we stand and while we sing.